Good evening, everyone. Um, if I can invite you to take your seats again. Um, my name's Will Van Hart. If we haven't met before, I'm the associate vicar here, and uh, it's great to have you here if you're here for the first time. Uh, Tim, our vicar, will be arriving in about half an hour's time, so um, there'll be a chance to welcome them back. I've got uh, a lot of um, confetti cannons and party poppers. One nearly killed me on my desk earlier. When I took the wrapper off, it exploded in my face. And um, I'm still sort of picking bits of confetti out of my Bible. Um, so unfortunately, I'm still here. Please, if you're one of those people operating one of those devices, to hold it above your head when you release it. And uh, we're going to have a moment to really uh, celebrate those guys as they come back in. <clears throat> it's a really exciting Sunday for me. Um, I think of all these four uh, gets, the get connected, get involved, and get giving, they all, they all combine together. But if you could say that the kind of the pinnacle of the get is the get out there. Because we haven't just been called to a gospel of transformation in our hearts, but a gospel of transformation for the whole world. And, and, and you're being, being sort of trained or transformed in, the, in, a, in a sport. It's great. <laughs> Fantastic. But what about actually playing the game? You know, it's great to get strength, you know, to ready to run the race. But what about actually running the race? And there's something about social transformation, which is this incredible opportunity. But it's also pretty terrifying. And um, I spent the last well, seven years working in the shelter at HDB, which is the largest shelter in RBKNC. And, and at times, I've got to say, I was really out of my comfort zone. I actually really, really enjoy shelter work now. Uh, but there are moments when, you know, you're thinking, am I going to get punched in the face right now? And I've got quite a big nose. That's actually quite painful. Um, and there's those sort of moments when you're thinking, okay, I feel like this is really out of control in terms of my social embarrassment. We all carry that. Oh, this is awkward. Oh, this person isn't like me. Or they're speaking in a really loud voice at, a, at a, an inopportune moment. Uh, this feels uncomfortable. But, you know, we've been called to get uncomfortable for the gospel. And, and Jesus didn't go around saying, everyone, just follow the law and, like, be really sensible and really quiet and everything will be great. You know, I really sympathize with the guy in our story tonight. You've heard it so many times, the parable of the Good Samaritan from Luke 10. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. It's a really bad start, isn't it? Like, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. And, and as a teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he said, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going along the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, who's also a sort of priest, when he came by to the place he saw him, passed across to the other side. But the Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring out oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins, quite a lot of money, and he gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. You know, I, I, I guess the guy in uh, verse 25, he, he's this 
religious man who's standing up to say to Jesus, you know, teacher, really, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Which is really, teacher, you know, have I done enough? Am I safe? Have I got it sorted? Um, you might reframe the question as, you know, teacher, how do I avoid death? He wants to kind of know that he has fulfilled the details of the law. He wants to know that he's done it, that he's kind of ticked the box. And to a level, we all want to know that we've ticked the box. It's like, Jesus, you know, here's the sheet. I'm handing in my homework. You know, have I done enough? And it's, it's a really frustrating question because Jewish scholars were very interested in the detail of the law and they interpreted every detail to assess whether they had passed the test or not or if they'd fallen just outside of the favour of God, which is a pretty miserable way of living. If you're constantly saying, you know, have I done enough? Have I done enough? Have I passed the test? You're in this kind of agony of anxiety. Luke, Luke interprets the man uh, questions as a test you know, so there's a sort of, there's a setup, but, but the guy is just anxious. You know, it, it wasn't just that he was trying to lord it over Jesus and sort of show off to his mates. I think he was genuinely anxious about whether he was in or whether he was out. He wants to feel safe, he wants to get the tick in the box, but Jesus sees what he's looking for in advance. He's like, oh, I kind of see what the question you're asking here, but you're kind of asking the wrong question, which is quite annoying, isn't it? Have you tried that? I used to be a teacher and some teachers in the room. And the kids said, but what's the, yeah, you're asking the, you're asking the wrong question. No, no, I'm asking the right question. I just want to get the answer so I can get on with the next question. No, no, you're asking the wrong question because you don't understand the question you're actually asking. And Jesus is kind of saying, you're asking the wrong question because you don't really understand the question that you're asking. And so Jesus says, you know, what's the law itself say? You're trying to prove yourself against the test. So what's the test say? Well, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all soul, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, but how do you interpret that? How do you interpret it? What's it look like? Does it look like a box-ticking exercise? Well, you might say, well, it, it possibly could be, but then you've misunderstood what love is because love is messy and smelly and difficult and sometimes pretty ugly, and love has some boundaries, and love pushes back. It's all of these unconventional things that love is, not just this sweet and easy thing with two people kind of waving at each other across a crowded room. Love is difficult. And Jesus is saying this is hard and messy and awkward sometimes, but that's what I've called you towards. You know, Jesus is like the examiner on the board of heavenly entrance exams, but he doesn't, he doesn't give the man the result. He just points him back to the test. He says, have another go, my friend. Look, let me explain it to you a more simple way. The law isn't something that can be ticked. The man points to the two greatest commandments, and Jesus affirms the answer as being correct. But then he says in verse 28, do this and live. He doesn't say, oh, you've done it and live, because the tense he uses is the present continuous. So it would be like, oh, yeah, you've done it. And also you are doing it and also, by the way, you've got to keep on doing it. So you can't just do enough to get in because this isn't just a box to be ticked. This is a way to live. You know, when I think about the social transformation work that I've done, you know, I could name some things. Probably wouldn't impress many of you. It doesn't really impress me. It certainly doesn't impress God. But I can name some things 
But really the things aren't as important as the disposition that I carry throughout my day. Because social transformation isn't something you do to other people, it's a way that you live which loves God and loves your neighbour as yourself. And that's the key thing that Jesus is pointing the man back to. It's not really even explained in the, in the story of the Good Samaritan itself. Apart from the fact that the man comes back the next day and says, if I owe any more money, let me know and I'll pay you a bit more. So the man's action is not just a one-time action to help a man off the floor and bind his wounds and take him to the hospital. It's to come back the next day and say, and how are you doing? Can I pay out some more? It's a present and continuous action. Imagine this safety-seeking man. He's like, this isn't going well. Like, I'm the expert in the law, and this man from Galilee, you know, who I thought was just hanging around with fishermen and used to be a carpenter, is skinning me out in front of everyone. And now I'm looking not just stupid, but also bad. Like, what am I going to say next? <laughs> Poor guy. He, he doesn't know where to go. He's sort of, he's asking the question, you know, where do I park my car? And then Jesus gives him the answer and then he says, what is a car? Like the next question is even more ridiculous than the first one. He says, and who is my neighbor? Like I'm still trying to get out of this difficult problem you've created for me. You've told me I've got to love my neighbor in this really, really costly way. And I'm just going to deny the fact I even know what a neighbor looks like. So then maybe I don't have to do that. You know, it's, it's pretty awkward. The man's flustered and frustrated he looks a little simple in front of everyone else. What a question to ask. The worried man. He's trying to create some more understandable parameters that could narrow the breadth of the law down. Like, if I can just label this one person as being my neighbor, then there's a finite amount of love I've got to give, and there's a finite amount of effort I've got to outlay, and there's a finite amount of kind of awkwardness that I've got to experience. So if I can tick that one neighbor box, is it the two people who live next door to me? I could just about manage that. And Jesus doesn't even allow that. He, he, he's saying, look, in this story, here is Anon man on the journey. He's covered in blood which makes him unclean and that's quite awkward for you because you're an expert in the law that knows if you then touch him you're also unclean which is kind of awkward and messy and what I'm really talking about and then a priest who you'll relate to and then a Levite who's a master in the law who you'll also relate to all walk by on the other side so do you want to condemn yourself before I give you the answer to the question or shall we wait till the end of the story you can see the man he's sort of watching this slow motion train crash as he's seeing the, the priest and the Levite both walking by on the other side of the road and going, oh my goodness, I know how this is going to end. But then Jesus doesn't even let him off the hook because then he introduces someone totally abhorrent to the expert in the law, a Samaritan man. We don't understand how much the Jews hated the Samaritans at the time, but this was like a major deal. This was like someone from Man City turning up at a Man United game, and everyone's going, what are you doing here? And the Samaritan man rolls into the story, and he's not the bad guy that everyone wants to go, oh, boo, hiss, the Samaritan man. He's the good guy. Like, this is such a radical piece of, like, out there teaching it's so like all enveloping it's hard for us sometimes to kind of see the cultural nuances of the thing and go this is an extreme example where the people who were experts in the law had a total car crash but the person who everyone had been taught to say yeah don't have anything to do with them they're the virtuous ones the kingdom of God is turning the rhetoric on its head 
You see, the man wanted validation through fulfilling the law as he understood it, but Jesus shows him what the law was really all about. It wasn't about ticking boxes. It was about being poured out in love to the lost and the last and the least. It was a manifestation of God's own heart. Jesus is saying, look, forget this. Forget kind of, you know, signing up to do your duty and then feeling great about it. He was actually saying, this is the extravagant love of God for people who are broken and hurting. This is the extravagant love of God manifest in someone who you didn't anticipate to express the extravagant love of God, who, who apparently, according to you, doesn't even know who God is. And yet here he is getting off his donkey, getting his hands dirty, getting unclean, giving up his money, giving up his donkey, coming back the next day, how inconvenient. Just doing all of that. The good Samaritan. He's good, sure. But he's not as good as the God who sent him. He's just a manifestation of that goodness. And you are all a manifestation of the goodness of God. You know, I often sit on the tube with that awkward feeling of like, I'd like to say hello to someone. I'm one of those really awkward people. Like, I just suddenly get a bee in my bonnet. I'd like to say hello to someone. Hello. And you can see this awkward moment of like, oh my goodness, someone said hello on the tube. I made friends with a, a Glaswegian man the other day who works on oil rigs. We had the best conversation ever. I think he was actually the most friendly man I've met on the tube, probably because he was Glaswegian. I couldn't understand a lot of what he said. I've, honest, I've got to be honest with you. But he was super enthusiastic about working on oil rigs. And, you know, we had this great conversation. But what I loved about it was there was sort of a kerfuffle in the tube because two people who didn't know each other had struck up a conversation and were sort of mutually enthusing one another about life and kind of the general goodness of things. But I want to say to you, I, you know, you could go back to the shelter in South Kensington or, or, or Grenfell or anything, any site like that and say, well, that's social transformation. But I want to say to you, social transformation is opening up a conversation of love with someone you don't know. Ooh, that's awkward, isn't it? That's not a box-ticking exercise. It's a disposition to carry into your day. It, it's the awkwardness of knowing that the person you're sitting next to you might be drunk and high and that might be embarrassing for you, but that's still okay. Don't get up and move. In fact, shuffle a little closer. You know, it's okay to say hello to the uh, vendor of the, uh, of the big issue and not buy a copy, but actually just have a chat. It's like, so let's not hustle away when someone says, can I have a money? It's a money. I mean, money is a good thing to give, but, but sometimes it's great just to say, hey, I don't, want a I don't want another copy of the big issue, but I just would love to know how's your day. You know, I, we live in such a a kind of professionalized world when social trans, where social transformation is concerned. And I understand the value of that. You know, we need to be trained for Crosslight. Frankly, if some of us helped people at Crosslight with debt counseling, we would not be helping them. We'll be hindering them. So we need to know how to help. Um, we need to help if we're helping in a, in a child-based context. We need to understand the strong tense of safeguarding and how to, how to have a strong and healthy disposition with children and how to relate to them well. That's essential. And if we're working in the shelter, we need to know how to do food hygiene properly and how to be a great befriender. But let's not let the professionalization of social transformation ministry steal from us the opportunity of demonstrating the extravagant heart of God's love for the lost and last and least in every community. 
Because we get to this point where we're like, but I'm not trained. And I can imagine, like, the next question, it doesn't carry on, by the way, the story, uh, but the next question in the 21st century for the man who's the expert in the law would be, but I haven't done the health and safety standard level two food hygiene scheme. And I'm not actually trained in, in debt relief. And should you really, like, give money? Because isn't that, like, kind of killing with kindness? And won't they become dependent? And don't I need to do, like, a safeguarding training before I really get involved? And I certainly haven't done first aid, and this man is seriously injured, I'd be worried about litigation. You know, like, we have become so professionalized in the way that we love, we've lost sight of what love really is. You know, I look at all you guys and I think, wow, I'm so blessed to be working in a church with so many people who are filled with the love of God and really want to make a difference in their society. And many of you are professionals who do that, doctors and teachers and nurses and police officers and social workers and people with all manner of skills. But I'd love all of us just to de-skill for a moment and bathe in the love of God for each and every one of us and then say, right, I want to sort of pay it forward. And just say it's okay not to always have a framework for what social transformation might look like beyond saying, oh, hello, how are you? Having a good day? You think I'm a bit weird, don't you? Because I asked you that question. I, I might be a bit weird, or I might just be someone who'd just love to have a chat with you. How are you doing? You know, it's amazing the change that can come when the church is mobilized to begin to connect and ask people what's going on. How is it going? You know, Jesus, he's kind of self-referencing in the text. In verse 34, there's this sort of reference. The one who kind of is on the donkey. The one who kind of comes in from Jerusalem. The one who gets down off his own donkey to pick up the broken man on the floor. John 12, 14 says, Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it as it's written do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. And that's what it looks like. That's why it's an, an allegory of this kind of extravagant love. And I'd love, I, you know, I'd love this church to be more known for the extravagant love of God. That's not to say it's not already known. But just like the encouragement for the, the now and the not yet of the kingdom, we can be even better known for the extravagant love of God. And you know what that looks like in practice? It gets more weird and more awkward. You know, because every time the extravagant love of God shows up, lots of people who need the extravagant love of God will also show up. Like, if people need water and you open up a massive well, loads of thirsty people rock up and say, can I have some water, please? And and then they're all dipping their dirty buckets in your pond. And you're like, but hold on a minute. This water was nice and clean and for me. And now you've all shown up. The danger of church is that we open up a well filled with the extravagant love of God and we just consume it for ourselves. But God won't allow it. He won't allow that to happen. And as we open up a bigger and bigger well, this place is going to get more and more weird. And it's going to look less and less like a holy club. And the man, this expert in the law, will less and less and less likely want to come here. Because he'll be like, oh, I just want to be somewhere where I could tick the box and know that I'm kind of in. And like sit with people who are just like me. And now it's noisy. People are talking during the sermon. 
and they generally are difficult and awkward and I'm just finding it hard and there's someone at the back who wants something and there's someone over there who's chatting to another mate and so and so wants to stay afterwards and so and so asks people money on the way in and such and such says there's an addictions ministry they want to be part of, can we start it now? And that's not all I want, I want to go to a church that just is neat and tidy. And we can hear that in our own heads, going, oh yeah, look, there's the expert in the law. He's right in there behind my frontal lobe. He's kind of hiding, writing notes, wondering how he can get out of this sermon quickly and unscathed. You know, it's in all of us. The zealot is in all of us. The Pharisee is in all of us. The priest who crosses the road, he's in all of us. But the Lord is also in all of us. And he has come in order that every single one who out there is feeling wounded and hurting and bleeding gets someone to get down off their donkey and say, how are you? Let me help you. What's going on? We need to escape the professionalization of ministries without escaping the safety and the benefits and the training that it provides. And the reason we need to escape it is because we can become excluded from the ministry that God's called us to. And I don't want anyone here to be excluded. We, we've called these boldly gets. And I think there's something nicely abrasive about it. It's like, come on, get out there. Let's get out there. You know, the guys are going to come in in a few minutes after a 400-mile cycle ride. I've got to say, there's a couple of moments this weekend I said to Liam, I'm pretty glad I, I've got a terrible back injury. <clears throat> you know, I genuinely have. I was like, I'm pretty glad, you know. It was a blessing I didn't realize at the time, but you know, that I can't cycle 400 kilometers. But you know, I'm also partly envious. I'm like, actually, you know, I feel like they've really done something. They've raised 20,000 pounds. And even more tonight, tap and go tonight, and all money goes to IJM. There's something powerful about getting out there. They've done something remarkable. But you're also doing something remarkable. And, and tonight, when you walk home, or when you travel home on the tube, take the moment to live in the reality of the fact that you are all filled with extravagant love of God. And it's your right, your obligation, your duty, and your joy to lean out, not lean in, and go, oh, I'm ready. <laughs> Deborah, she's living it right now. It's what it looks like. Express the love of God to one another. Know that God loves each and every person here without qualification. Know that whatever your circumstances, if you're in the room and you feel like, wow, I feel like the person on the floor, you're amongst friends. There's no judgment. There's no merit badge. There's just a reality. We're all broken in different ways. And God has called his church to bind one another and his world up right now. So why don't we respond and stand together as Matt comes up to lead us again in worship. Let's um, open our hands to the Lord. Jesus, we are so awkward about this and we want to just name the Pharisee in our heads. Lord, we don't want to listen to them anymore. We want to experience the love of Christ and share the love of Christ. And so we want to pray just for a release right now of the overwhelming love of God for those who are marginalized in our society, for those who aren't like us, for those who are hurting, 
for those who are drunk or high, for those who are sexually promiscuous, for those who are caught up in cycles of crime or abuse, those who are struggling with modern day slavery or all sorts of disorder, we want to pray, Lord, I want to lean out tonight in your name. I want to pray that with my brothers and sisters in this room, we would make a difference. Not just today or yesterday, but tomorrow. Day after day in your name, Father, would you come, fill us with your spirit, 